Welcome. This is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 90 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is a review of OFAC's new framework for sanctions compliance programs. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. And as usual, before we get started, two points. First, please subscribe to our podcast, rate the podcast, like the podcast, and help let other compliance professionals find the podcast and get access to it. Second, I wanted to mention that my law firm, the Volkoff Law Group, provides ethics and compliance program services, and in particular, OFAC sanctions compliance. We provide assistance and counseling on compliance with OFAC sanctions regimes, SDN classifications, and practices to avoid OFAC violations. Uh, We assist companies in reviewing specific transactions, implementing effective compliance programs, and responding to OFAC requests for information or responding to an enforcement action. We've helped a number of companies to conduct voluntary disclosures, audits, and internal investigations as necessary. We're very familiar with existing sanctions programs involving Iran, Cuba, Russia, Venezuela, and other countries. If interested in our trade compliance services, please contact me at mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com. Well, so on the heels of the Justice Department's announcement of its new compliance guidance for evaluation of corporate compliance programs, OFAC decided on May 2nd, 2019 to join the Compliance Club. And OFAC issued its promised guidance for sanctions compliance programs. It had promised at the end of last year in a speech given uh, by uh, Segal Mandlicker uh, to uh, address this issue. So together with its aggressive enforcement of economic sanctions, OFAC has now set a new standard for sanctions compliance programs and has, quote unquote, strongly encouraged companies and individuals subject to OFAC jurisdiction to implement a risk-based approach to sanctions compliance by developing, implementing, and routinely updating an SCP. That stands for Sanctions Compliance Program. Now, OFAC has been incredibly aggressive this year in terms of enforcement actions, especially with regard to the Iran sanctions program. And so in this new era of aggressive OFAC sanctions enforcement companies subject to OFAC jurisdiction should be mindful of the requirements for an effective SCP. Companies that are uh, in the process of implementing or updating their OFAC sanctions compliance program should review these documents and incorporate these compliance expectations. The framework is a very interesting document because it basically incorporates a lot of principles and thoughts from the Justice Department uh, from prior guidance, and that makes total sense since uh, Seagal Manlikur uh, has worked at the Justice Department in a prior administration. That's where I got to know her and meet uh, and work with her. And this has, in turn, uh, informed a lot of OFAC's compliance work uh, in terms of what is an effective sanctions compliance program. So OFAC explained in this document, and it's an important document, uh, as part of its determination of an appropriate penalty for violations of a sanctions program, it evaluates a subject entity's uh, SCP under its uh, well-established sanctions enforcement guidelines, which are in the regulations. And that's the way that they calculate an appropriate civil monetary penalty and other requirements. So if a subject, if a company, for example, has an effective SCP at the time of the violation 
or implements remedial compliance measures at the time of the resolution, OFAC is going to reduce the penalty and or deem the penalty non-egregious, which can have uh, financial consequences. So let's the framework structure itself is based on five essential components and includes an important appendix which outlines several of the root causes of underlying violations that OFAC has seen through the years uh, involving uh, compliance with its sanctions programs. So uh, a risk-based SCP is going to depend upon the sophistication of the company, the products and services offered, the customers and counterparties, and geographic locations. Uh, and each SCP should be based on and incorporate at least these five essential elements of a compliance program. One, management commitment. Two, risk assessment. Three, internal controls. Four, testing and audit. And five, training. So let's start with the management commitment, and under this management commitment requirement, companies have to ensure that their senior management, that being directors, executives, senior leaders, demonstrate their commitment to and support of the organization's SCP. And this is uh, obviously a critical um, commitment, and it has to ensure that the SCP receives adequate resources and is fully integrated into the day-to-day -day operations. Um, and so that the program itself is legitimized, empowered, and it fosters a culture of compliance throughout the organization's organization. The OFAC's framework is, is, sounds familiar, it, uh, but I think what is really important here is that these same standards now are being applied to a sanctions compliance program. And the importance of this is that Sanctions compliance programs cannot just be based upon we're going to screen a particular counterparty, we're going to screen a customer before we send them our products. There's much more to it, and uh, OFAC is going to require that people and companies have more than just what has been going on, I think, for many years, which is just a screening function. So there has to be effective management support, includes obviously the provision of adequate resources to the compliance unit or units, and support for the compliance personnel's authority within the organization. So there are five specific elements within this senior management, uh, senior management commitment. Uh, the senior management has to review and approve the organization's uh, SCP. Senior management has to ensure that the compliance units have been delegated sufficient authority and autonomy to deploy the policies and procedures in a manner that effectively controls its OFAC risks. And senior management has to ensure the existence of direct reporting lines between the SCP functions and senior management, including routine and periodic meetings between these two elements of the organization. Now, senior management has to make sure that there are adequate resources deployed, including in the form of human capital, expertise, and here's an important one, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, information technology, and other resources as appropriate that are relative to the organization's breadth of operations, target and secondary markets, and other factors affecting its overall risk profile. 
So they want to make sure that the organization has appointed a dedicated OFAC sanctions compliance officer who can also be responsible for other compliance programs, that the quality and experience of the SCP personnel, including their technical knowledge and expertise, the ability of the personnel to understand complex financial and commercial activities. They can apply their OFAC knowledge and identify OFAC-related issues, risks, and prohibited activities. There also has to be an effort to ensure that personnel dedicated to the SCP have sufficient experience and appropriate position within the organization and that there are sufficient control functions to support the SCP, including information technology software systems. Senior management also has to promote a culture of compliance through the organization, and uh, they have to have their personnel have to have the ability to report sanctions-related misconduct to personnel uh, to certain senior management without fear of reprisal or retaliation. Senior management messages and Messages and actions have to discourage misconduct and prohibit activities and highlight the potential repercussions of noncompliance with OFAC sanctions. So senior management obviously has to demonstrate recognition of the seriousness of apparent violations of the laws and regulations, of OFAC regulations, and they have to take uh, steps to implement measures to reduce the occurrence of it, and they have to also look at root causes of past violations and try to get at systemic uh, problems that have occurred in the past. So as always, here we go again to the second issue and an important issue, which is risk assessment. OFAC, and this is a particularly, uh, and I want to point out the scope of the risk assessment that is mandated here is much broader than I think most companies have been doing up to now because it includes uh, your supply chain. So OFAC recommends that organizations conduct a routine and ongoing risk assessment to inform its uh, SCP uh, policies, procedures, and internal controls and training. So it should include assessment of customers, supply chain, which is ex- and, and that has to be done with uh, information relating to principles behind the enforcement action of uh, against ELF, which I've talked about uh, in the last uh, six months or three or five months, which uh, related to a supply chain issue where there was a violation of OFAC regulations in the supply chain unknown to the U.S. company. And that is means that we have to dig down into our supply chain and we have to uh, dig down as quickly uh, as we can in terms of this risk assessment process. But besides customers in your supply chain, now intermediaries and counterparties, obviously third parties, and that should be informed by my continual harping on the issue of the Epsilon case and third-party liability for distributors who in turn, let's say, send products and services to uh, Iran or Cuba or other prohibited countries. Um, It also has to be, the risk assessment has to look at products and services you uh, offer, uh, how they fit into the financial system, 
what commercial products, services, networks, or systems that you use uh, in terms of providing your products and services, the geographic locations of your organization, and potential mergers and acquisitions, especially those involving non-U.S. companies or corporations that were not subject to OFAC but then become subject to OFAC. That's an issue that we've seen. So uh, the organization has to look at um, an OFAC risk assessment and has to update the risk assessment, and it should leverage uh, existing information, and it should look at several processes. Onboarding. The organization develops and has to develop a sanctions risk rating for customers, customer groups, or account relationships based upon a due diligence process and independent research conducted by the organization. Um, second, in mergers and acquisitions, I mentioned to you, there has to be uh, a focus on integration of the new company and particularly those companies that have uh, that are non-U.S. Uh, operating or owned uh, because they are now subject to, let's say, OFAC sanctions. Um, there has to be an, a methodology to identify, analyze, and address the risks uh, and you have to update your risk assessment as you develop root causes for any deficiencies or uh, any problems that you uh, uncover. Internal controls. So here, um, there has to be a process, and this has to be documented, and this is very important, I think, for identifying escalation, which is important, and reporting as appropriate, and documentation of SCP compliance activity. Escalation is perhaps one of the most important issues because nine times out of ten we see a screening that's done, there's some issues surrounding that screening, and it's not properly escalated to the right people in compliance or legal for purposes of resolution. So we need to define procedures and processes pertaining to OFAC compliance, including reporting and escalation chains, and minimize the risks uh, identified by the risk assessment. Um, and to do so, the organization has to have written policies and procedures. They have to implement the design of the internal controls, have to be implemented in accordance with the risk assessment and tailored to that risk assessment uh, and address the identification, escalation, and reporting issue. Now, under this element is an important issue because technology solutions have to factor into your internal controls. In other words, you buy a screening technology, you buy uh, the various products that are out there as a way to do this, and the organization has to, and this is the mandated language, has to uh, select, calibrate, and test the information technology solution. In other words, we have to have documentation surrounding the selection, calibration, what settings did we use for purposes of identifying and trying to match people to their particular um, listing on an SDN or let's say an SSI. And so, and how are we testing the information technology solution, which I think should be done annually to make sure that it's working properly? So in addition to those issues, going back to policies and procedures, it's important that the uh, organization obviously enforces these and ensures that there are good record-keeping policies and procedures uh, that uh, to document its SCP 
and, uh, and there has to be clear communication of the policies and procedures to all relevant staff, including personnel within the SCP program, as well as relevant gatekeepers, accounts payable people, business units, uh, shipping people, logistics people, <coughs> excuse me, uh, and particularly those who operate in high-risk areas, uh, and to external parties who perform SCP responsibilities on behalf of the organization, like a logistics company, if you deal with that. Um, and there has to be an integration of these policies and procedures into the daily operations of the company or corporation, and that has to be done, again, through the internal controls and making sure that people understand the policies and procedures. So let's now talk about testing and auditing. So OFAC, under the guidance, requires companies to assess the effectiveness of their program, check for inconsistencies between these and day-to-day -day operations. And a comprehensive and objective testing or audit function is important to identify program weaknesses and deficiencies and then to enhance its program uh, as needed and to remediate any potential uh, grap, uh, gaps. So there are three specific elements within this, that the testing and auditing function has to be accountable to senior management, is independent of the audited activities and functions. You can't test yourself, uh, and has sufficient authority, skills, expertise, resources, and authority within the organization. Um, and it has to be that testing or audit procedures are appropriate to the level and sophistication of the uh, policy. And the organization has to ensure that upon learning of a deficiency that they respond to it, uh, remediate it, and uh, mandate uh, certain changes as necessary uh, by, in a timely fashion. Now with regard to training, uh, OFAC observed that training program is an integral component of a successful SCP. So it has to be tailored to the risk profile and all appropriate employees and stakeholders. And, they, and training must be conducted for relevant employees and personnel on a periodic basis, but at a minimum, it says in here, annually. So an organization has to ensure that its training program provides appropriate information and is key to the audience uh, and particular high-risk employees within the organization. And there has to be OFAC-related training with a scope that's appropriate for the products and services, your supply chain, your customers, your clients, and your third parties, and the geographic regions, obviously, in which you operate. And there has to be um, some frequency in the training program that's appropriate based upon the risk assessment and risk profile. You have a high-risk area, they should be trained more often than a lower-risk area. And the organization has to um, make sure that its resources are easily accessible in foreign languages and materials that are available in foreign languages on your intranet or some, or some other uh, mechanism by which you make them available to all the employees. Finally, and perhaps I think one of the more important aspects of the document is a review of lessons learned, which is an attachment to the framework and really interesting in terms of uh, the OFAC had a basic discussion about 10 basic categories of violations that they've seen and uh, as a way to sort of make sure that your focus includes these 10 
uh, areas. Now, some of them are kind of obvious, like obviously number one is lack of a formal SCP. So if you don't have an SCP, that's going to be a problem because it, uh, it basically defeats your ability to argue mitigation in any enforcement action. And sometimes you can convince OFAC, for example, based upon an effective program, and this is your first violation, that uh, no action is needed uh, other than, let's say, a warning or something like that, which can occur. Um, two, misinterpreting or failing to understand application of OFAC regulations. And this comes up a lot, and particularly where you have a U.S. operation uh, involved with a, a another part of the company, which is a non-U.S. Uh, operation, but nonetheless a subsidiary or U.S. owned or controlled. And in this area where, in particularly, they noted with regard to Cuba and Iran sanctions programs, they've seen violations where instances where there were red flags were present and ignored by the organization and thereby constituted an aggravating circumstances. And that's because the entity, which was a U.S. person, didn't understand that the regulations apply to their foreign operations and that they cannot uh, uh, avoid any connection in uh, that sense or any uh, responsibility. Facilitating transactions by non-U.S. persons. This is number three. So in other words, there were organizations with foreign-based operations and subsidiaries, and then they themselves engaged in transactions or activities that violated OFAC's reg regulations through the broad concept of facilitating transactions. And this facilitation is very broadly defined, even a referral. So, for example, if I uh, am sitting in Europe uh, and, uh, and I work for a U.S. company, but I, I work in Europe, uh, I work for a, a, a European subsidiary, and I receive information about an Iran opportunity for the company, and I send it to a U.S. person uh, who's a member of the company and say, let's go do this business. Uh, that can be construed as facilitation, and they use that specific example in this in terms of a referral type of situation. So something to be careful about. Um, obviously, uh, the more facilitation scenarios incur, uh, that occur are more uh, significant beyond just a simple email, let's say, tra uh, communication in that situation. Number four, exporting or re-exporting U.S. origin goods, technology, or services to OFAC-sanctioned persons or countries. So here, what uh, OFAC is getting at is that be careful that if you purchase U.S. origin goods and then you re-export them, transfer, or sell the items, and then you have to get into the issue, which is a, a difficult inquiry in terms of whether or not you take the U.S. origin goods and then add to them and then create a new product uh, and then sell that uh, to a prohibited person. So there's issues that can come up in that situation, and um, there have to be uh, adequate attention to warning signs, uh, and people have tried to sort of conceal this activity because they know that they're circumventing that. The fifth issue is utilizing the U.S. financial system or processing payments through U.S. financial institutions for transactions involving SDNs, OFAC-sanctioned persons, or countries. And here you run into the issue of dollar transactions, and uh, those have been hitting a lot of the banks, but also you can be liable if, for example, you're involved in 
um, a transaction where the underlying payment goes through as a dollar transaction to the United States, um, and that uh, then creates a problem in terms of uh, the processing of the dollar transaction. The sixth issue, which was, I think, another important reminder about sanction screening software or filter faults, uh, and that sort of builds on the COBOM uh, decision that enforcement action that occurred earlier or earlier in the year or actually late last year, where when companies rely on screening software programs to identify the potential violations of OFAC regulations, they have to screen their customers, supply chain, intermediaries, counterparties, commercial and financial transactions for prohibited locations, parties, or transactions. And OFAC observed that at times companies have failed to update their screening software to include SDNs and SSI parties, failed to include pertinent identifiers, uh, and did not account for alternative spellings of prohibited parties or countries. And they cited instances where alternative spellings may be used, Havana instead of Havana, Cuba instead of Cuba, Sudan instead of Sudan, uh, these types of things. And this, again, gets at the issue of you can't just simply rely on your software, run it through the software, don't test your software, don't look at the filters for your software, and just say, we're going to blindly rely on this. Also, there's improper due diligence on uh, the seventh issue, customers and clients, and the fundamental component, obviously, is conducting due diligence. Uh, and various OFAC enforcement actions involved improper or incomplete due diligence on ownership, beneficial ownership, geographic locations, counterparties, and transactions. Um, and uh, these types of uh, inadequacies and due diligence processes is definitely at the forefront of OFAC concerns. Uh, the eighth issue was decentralized compliance functions and the inconsistent application of your SCP. And they explained that there have been several enforcement actions where SCP personnel were scattered in different offices or business units, and there was a lack of a formal review process for high-risk transactions, absence of an escalation process, or an inefficient oversight and audit function. And this, again, gets at the importance of designing effective controls, and then enforcing them. Finally, we have two last issues. One was utilizing non-standard payment or commercial practices. And then the last, which I thought was interesting, was individual liability. And OFAC sent a message here that they themselves are going to start look at in, looking at individual prosecutions uh, under civil law. Uh, and that would be fines or penalties uh, in individual employees particularly those in supervisory, managerial, or executive level pos uh, positions, and they've noted that they've been playing a central role in OFAC violations, and they intend to initiate enforcement actions against those individuals in the future. Well, that's it. Uh, stay tuned for more on OFAC's uh, efforts here on the SCP. I think it's going to be an interesting issue to follow. Uh, this is a major document to come out, and it also means major responsibilities for companies to upgrade and make and implement more mature uh, sanctions compliance programs. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkoff Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program, 
Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. At Ethical Companies, employees believe in the company, they feel vested, and are more productive. As a result, misconduct rates are much lower and financial performance is higher. We can help you achieve these benefits through an effective ethics and compliance program. You can learn more about our commitment to effective ethics and compliance programs at our website, www.bocoflaw.com, our award-winning blog, Corruption Crime Compliance, and our podcast series. You can always contact me at my email address, mbolkoff.com. Let us know how we can help you achieve your goal. Thank you.